campaign thing. Listen, listen, we are live now, so you really got to be careful about what we are about to say, because we're just talking about some very sensitive uh, things that, uh, I, I, I mean, I, if you I, were my pastor, I'd probably, I'd probably, you know, ask for your resignation. It's, it's, it's so funny, like, Eric and I are having this conversation off air, and just, just as I'm about to absolutely demolish him on <laughs> what we're talking about, oh, we're live! Look, when have you ever demolished me in any conversation? You may have gotten the better of me in, in, in certain things, but you have never demolished me. I'm Good just sir. saying, what we were just talking about, which will not go repeated, I was completely right, and the moment you knew it, you went live. That's all I'm no, saying. No, no, my little ticker on this on this thing said uh, it's time to go live, and I think we're even like 15 seconds late. I was trying to give you your moment. Uh, but your argument, as usual, wasn't concise enough and to the point. So what you do is you, when you're trying to explain your point, point or elucidate it, you use too many words, uh, and you try and you blur the facts. You 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 uh, obfuscate. That's what you do. You're you are an obfuscator. I didn't, I, I didn't know we were going to start like this. I figured at some point we would arrive here, but like right from the gun. Okay. Uh, Eric, why don't you explain to everybody why you chose the name you did today? Yeah, so uh, Jerry Krause, for those of you who, uh, I don't know, live under a rock, there has been like this most phenomenal show out. It's a mini series based on the, uh, was it the 97, 98 Bulls? on the Chicago Bulls team that was just phenomenal. And it was a drama-filled season. It was Jordan's last year with the Bulls. It was um, Phil Jackson's last year's. And that team was stacked. It was just, if you uh, watched 90s basketball, it is must-watch TV uh, or must-watch. And I would say even today it's must-watch TV um, just to see the behind-the-scenes stuff. It is phenomenal. Well, the villain of the story is Jerry Krause, who unfortunately is dead. He died like three years ago. And he was the general manager, longtime general manager of the Chicago Bulls. And he is essentially the heel of the entire story. And it is uh, just great to listen. And, uh, you know, Jerry, may you rest in peace. I'm here for you, buddy. I'm representing. So I will be the foil today. I will be the foil. Now, what about your name? Yeah. Uh, well, I was when I, when I got onto the, the stream, I, was, I wanted to be real clever. And... The, the, the name I originally came up with was um, B-F-A-M, Brother from Another Mother. And I realized there were two problems with that. The first is that it looks a lot like BAMF, which represents something that we shall not repeat on the air. Uh, and the second Don't Google it either. Mother, the second was that Eric's mother just died. So maybe referring to his mother wasn't very sensitive. So I thought the sensitive one was uh, a nice little ironic name for me today. I do appreciate your sensitivity, man. You're always, uh, I wish I had that kind of sensitivity, uh, but I just have a tendency to stick my foot in my mouth instead. Well, that, that's why I called myself the sensitive one. Yeah. What should I be? The stupid one? Oh, goodness. No, no. Uh, how about the direct one? The direct one. Okay. I'll the deal with that. You like that? The honest one? So you're saying you're dishonest. Dude, is this gonna be like this the whole? I, I don't understand. What are you <laughs> I mean, if you say that I'm the honest one, then that that uh, you're making a statement about you know the other people that are on the podcast that there is some sense of dishonesty or lack of honesty. 
All right. I, I feel like I've been put on the hot seat enough. Uh, why don't you go ahead and talk about cigars so you can be in trouble for a little bit? Well, first off, uh, as promised to, to Tommy, Tom Logry, uh, the um, editor and chief dude in charge of Ever Christian Voices, he asked us to promote a uh, new study that's going to be uh, going on called Coiny at Midday. Uh, this is a study of Greek. Uh, for those who've already learned Greek and are looking to brush up, um, it's going to be hosted by Lou Going and Larry Knowles. Lou Going's a recently retired pastor, one of the smartest guys who's been in our denomination recently, um, graduate of Westminster. I believe Larry's a, a graduate of Westminster Seminary as well. Um, and Larry is also, I, I think he, I don't know his his title, but he's kind of like the head dude in charge over at Evan Christian uh, no, not Evan Christian Villages, but the retirement communities up in the Northeast. And both great guys, and um, they have a passion for the Lord and a passion for deep study. But this is just they're going to be walking through and helping people with, with Greek and brushing up on for themselves. So you can uh, reach them on those. What's up on your screen now on Israel'sRiver at gmail.com. That's Lou Going. Or Larry Knowles at LBK at MeetingHouseVillage.org. Boom. Boom. We're going to need to start charging for sponsors. I'll talk to Lou about that. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Good luck getting some money from a retired minister putting on a free class. Have fun with that one. That'd be like squeezing water from a rock. Listen, I'm a working man. You know, I'm a working man, and and, and uh, as we're talking about, you told me to talk about cigars. I'm a working man who enjoys a nice cigar. And uh, Jerry, or uh, someone asked who Jerry Krauss is. Uh, I don't know if that was before I answered or not, but, um, you know, nice cigars, they can cost a couple of bucks. So we could use some sponsors on the podcast. So, Eric, why uh, why did the you want to mention the cigars? I think there was actually a bit of a biblical point you wanted to make that I thought was. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a B under my bonnet, uh, and I wrote an article recently, and and um, I'm hoping that Tom will publish it for for Evan Christian Voices, and um, it really tries to focus on how hypocritical we can be in what we choose is uh, unmoral or amoral, or immoral. No, immoral. Amoral is the absence of morals. Immoral is actually going against morals. That's the difference. But. Um, you know, a lot of people, I remember hearing this in the Northeast, is um, it's different down here in, in the South, mostly because we're in tobacco country. But um, you'd hear people say, uh, don't, uh, what was it, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls who do. And that was to be a moral Christian. <laughs> and in that statement, um, really reveals quite a bit about what we I, I think what we value in life, uh, which oftentimes is morality rather than Christ. So um, I really had to be under my bonnet because I saw some things recently uh, challenging folks who either smoked uh, cigars or even smoked cigarettes um, uh, and other things use tobacco products. But uh, they will be the last ones to say anything. Uh, so Wes rightly points out uh, that this comes from the holiness movement. And it does come from the holiness movement. And um, there has been in, in, you know, kind of a, in popular evangelicalism, or as I like to call it, um, evangeli, um, or is the idea that morality is where we find our hope. Who's the peanut butter? 
<laughs> um, Presbyterian? Who's the peanut butter? Uh, I don't know. What, well, what do you mean by that? Well, where's the jelly? Who's the peanut butter? Well, I'm trying to make fun of uh, popular evangelicalism because, and I make fun of it because we, we, um, and we're part of that. So I kind of make fun of our, us, but we um, marry this moralistic, um, these moralistic ideas that have very little founding, if any, from the scriptures and God's word. So, um, so Wes asks, were our people wrong or is the holiness movement wrong about uh, abstaining? So I would say this, you are not wrong in abstaining from alcohol or cigarettes or, or cigars. And I make that point in, in the article that I've written. Um, you're not wrong, but you are wrong in telling someone else that they need to abstain for no other grounds than the Bible says so, because the Bible doesn't say so. The Bible does not say that you need to abstain from alcohol. It says you need to abstain from drunkenness. Um, and, I'm, and I make the correlation of, um, you know, many people say, well, my body is a uh, temple of the Holy Spirit, which is absolutely true. The Holy Spirit rests inside of us. However, um, it, it, you use this at, when people use this as a means to justify um, uh, healthy living they don't apply the supply it with the same measure as say abstaining from sugar. And let's face it, sugar within the church probably kills more people. If we just look at the church, right? This is anecdotal. I haven't done the studies. Uh, maybe one day Luke will, cause he's smart, but uh, your brother's a doctor. Maybe we'll ask him to do it. Uh, but uh, that was the strangest compliment I've ever received. I, I I'm going to try to take it, but I don't know what is going on today. <laughs> so, um, but Within the church, we celebrate, um, you know, big lunches after church and dinners and things where, you know, you have someone's uh, sweet apple pie or that strawberry pie. And the secret ingredient is three pounds of sugar in an eight inch pie. And that's why it tastes so good. Um, that is killing you. <laughs> that's killing you far quicker than smoking a cigar um, every couple of days or every day. So, um you know, there are things that we can find great joy in and do them as to as to on the Lord and praise him in the midst of that. Um, and I find pleasure and I find joy in smoking a cigar. Yeah. Now, so I think I think the key bit here uh, is from Romans 14. Right. Talking about weak brothers and strong brothers where uh, there are two important things to say here. The first is that those who abstain have no biblical grounds for um, condemning those who partake. However, it goes the other way as well, where those who partake have no biblical grounds for condemning those who abstain. So no, Wes, it's not wrong necessarily for those people to abstain. The issue is when those people then say, what is uh, what I choose to abstain from, all Christians must abstain from if they want to please and honor God. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, West makes a great point, which I actually point out in the article, is that uh, he, he says abstaining was to steer clear of those vices that can lead to sinful behavior. Exactly. And that is exactly what got uh, the Pharisees in trouble in the first century, is that they made laws. They made uh, laws that were condemnable, like not leaving um, – not leaving your home more than I think it's a hundred feet or a hundred yards. I forget. It's been a while since I was in Matthew, but um, on the Sabbath, 
you are not allowed to leave your house after a certain distance because to do so, you might accidentally be wa uh, working. And if you're accidentally working, well, you're breaking the Sabbath, you know, resting on the Sabbath. Uh, so what we want to steer clear of are making rules and laws for other people that are setting boundaries that God does not set. So he says, clearly, uh, drunkenness is a sin. So do we say, okay, abstain from all alcohol? Well, someone who has an alcohol problem, has alcoholism that runs in their family, certainly that would be wise. That would be a good thing to do. But does that mean um, our brothers in Christ, the Presbyterians who use wine in the Lord's Supper, does that mean that they're sinning? No, absolutely not. Make sure Eric pays you for plugging. Ah, oh, see, I, I like this. I like this payment method. Matt, Matt's on to something here. This I can get on board with. <laughs> I will only pay you in cigars. How about that? Oh boy. Yeah, you just, you're just on it today, man. I, I'm not I'm not up to your level. I wasn't prepared. Let's just end the stream. <laughs> we'll try again tomorrow. I'm not gonna be able to keep up today. Should well, we it, you know, from... another another example, uh, you know, I'd like to just, you don't even have to read the article once it comes out. I'm telling you the whole thing. Uh, you know, dancing. Dancing is another one that in the holiness movement and with our own denomination, you go, if you check um, constitutions and policies of most, of many churches in our denomination, I don't want to say most, but a good number in the pastors that I've talked to, many of them, if they have fellowship halls, um, there are usually two things that are prohibited. Alcohol, okay, um, that's fine. And then also dancing. Um, you know, and I know of people who have uh, re resisted having their... Um, you see what Wes just said? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, I mentioned Spurgeon in that article. But, um, you know, so that, uh, not having dancing in your fellowship hall, although I guess there could be some wisdom to it, depending on your circumstance, um, it does at least make it so that people who are church members who do wish to have uh, dancing and maybe even wine at their wedding, um, sometimes it can accidentally bind their conscience and go, man, maybe this is wrong. And maybe it's good that we do think through it. You know, I'm all for thinking through like, man, should we have dancing at our wedding? Should we have alcohol at our wedding? Um, and I would say in a Christian wedding, there does uh, come some wisdom in saying, you know what, I know there could be some people there that their conscience is bound not to have alcohol and i don't want to trigger them maybe they've had uh struggles with substance abuse in the past and go you know what it's just best for me not to have alcohol at my wedding praise god for that like pra like praise the lord um but i could also see you know another christian going well you know i'm, I'm not going to hide it and this is something that i think is important you know to have and since since, uh, you know, if we look at our faith as a continuation of the Jewish faith, which I do, um, they strongly held that wine was something that um, was part of a joyous occasion, that there that it's a symbol of joy. And it can be as long as you do so unto the Lord, as long as you. Um, now, now, I, I appreciate what, what Josh just said, because I think it really strikes to what's at the heart of this issue. So often, I think a lot of the the conflict in the church that comes from these issues is not from the issues themselves it's from moral evangelism where mm. we are attempting to promote a, a way of life rather than a gospel yeah. so uh, you know carolyn smith asks was david wrong to dance before the lord no no he wasn't 
is someone else wrong to abstain from dancing? No, that's the point. Yeah. That's that's not what we fight about. You yeah. you know, if if you if you have uh, uh, enough sort of faith in, in uh, the the grace of, of God through Jesus Christ and in his giving of all things to his people that you can participate in these things without violating your conscience then you should, as long as you are not violating the conscience of another believer. Now, on the other hand, if you cannot participate in those things without violating your conscience, I think Paul makes it clear that to you, that is sin. Even if the thing mm -hmm. itself is not wrong, if you intentionally do something that you think is wrong, you've dishonored God. So uh, I think Josh hits the nail on the head here. It is this, is this is an issue of evangelism of morality rather than the gospel. The Bible speaks clearly and says, let those who abstain, abstain, let those who partake, partake, but let neither one violate the conscience of the other. That's exactly right. Now, I, I would just tack on to this because uh, I recently just studied Romans 14 uh, through uh, with our church. And, um, you know, Paul makes the makes the or differentiates between those who are strong in the faith and those who are weak in the faith. You know, I talked a little bit about this before we got on and. The idea isn't that one is better than the other, but one understands their freedom a little bit differently. Um, and he I think he encourages in there the idea that we are it's incumbent upon us to teach one another our like it's okay to talk about these things and but it's not okay to be divisive over it. And that's the difference and that's one of the things that we've lost within the church and in our society is the ability to uh, disagree and share our views charitably. And we need to be doing that. that should be a place where in the church we are. It's almost I know people hate the term safe space, but it should be a place or a space in which it is safe to talk about the things that we disagree on because we are united in Christ and through Christ and by Christ. Hmm. That's good, man. We got to get we got to get Josh on here. He's a. Uh... I, we, our, our intention was not to have a whole discussion on this subject. This was just supposed to be the soft opener, but he's asking all these great questions. Well, I would say that, I would say this, Josh. Uh, my paper does not, but it's not published yet. It doesn't mean that I couldn't address it if people were interested um, regarding whether or not pastors and elders should partake as well. Um, I would say this. I think I don't see an issue with it. Obviously, if I partake in smoking cigars, I am careful as to uh, now, obviously, this is on social media. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is a video and I, and, I, and I would love for people to to from my church to watch and to listen. Um, so I, I wouldn't share anything here that I would be ashamed of, of saying to my congregation. In fact, I think it was my third sermon at the church that we covered um, Jesus turning the water into wine. And the audible gasps when I said alcohol is uh is not alcohol consumption is not a sin um even though that wasn't the main point of the text of the sermon um people totally bought into that because they saw it from scripture so i think it's important for us not to bind the consciences of pastors and elders to things that scripture doesn't however it is important for us as pastors and elders to understand 
that uh, I hope we are the stronger brothers in Christ, the ones in whom Paul is talking about in Romans 14. So if we do know that we are talking about a sensitive subject, that we should in kind be sensitive to it. Therefore, if a pastor or an elder or church leader partakes in alcohol, but they know that there are those in their church who do not, you know, you have to be wise about the decisions that you make. If you um, continue to enjoy a glass of wine or a finger of scotch, then, um, you know, maybe doing that at the, you know, at the local restaurant that, you know, all the church members go to might not be a good idea. Yeah. Um, let me, uh, let yeah. me address something that Wes just brought up. Cause I'm going to push back against it and let me make, let me make something clear since we are speaking about this publicly, I might as well speak my position. Um, the conclusion I've come to is that I do not, and I, I don't smoke just out of preference, um, but I do drink on occasion. I never do it publicly. And, and the, re and the reason is simply because I don't want to end up in a position where I'm, causing a brother to stumble or bringing about division unnecessarily. Um, Wes, I think the point that you make is a uh, misunderstanding and mistranslation of that word temperate or sober. Uh, I think it has much more to do with temperance in terms of not only sober mindedness, but also the, I think the point is that you shouldn't be a drunk. I, I think, I think an interpretation of that word as being, um, you should never partake in any alcohol just runs completely contrary to what Timothy, what Paul writes to Timothy. And I think is it second Timothy where he says, drink a little wine because you have stomach problems. So I think, I think your interpretation of that word temperate is inaccurate. You're welcome to uh, abstain. I'm not going to fight you on that, but I don't think that first Timothy three makes it clear that biblical leadership should not ever consume alcohol. I think that's a mistranslation of that word. Well, I would like to just, for those who who would push back against you, I'm not because I agree with you, but um, just on their behalf, the wine in the first century had a much lower alcohol content than the wine and alcohol that we have today. And part of that is because at that time, it was um, more common to drink wine throughout the day. And, and it was just it, something that was a more natural drink to have. It would be more like drinking coffee, although probably not as much I, I don't know, but um, the wine at that time was had a far less alcohol content than it does today. Yeah, I, I, I think, too, I would, and Wes, you're welcome to come back and disagree with me after you do this, but I would recommend that you look up in a concordance that word, because I know the way that it is translated in certain translations of Scripture. Um, and I think a better translation of the word uh, would be temperate or sober, as opposed to, uh, and even that phrase, not given to wine. Uh, does that mean partakes of no wine, which seems to run completely contrary to the practice of communion, which clearly in the first century was bread and wine? Or is it talking about being given to wine in the sense of uh, being either addicted or alcoholic or given to drunkenness? I kind of like given to your lust, given exactly. to your lust or passions. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah. you know, if you look at if you look at, um, the, you know, I'm not I'm not. I'm going to be very careful about how far I take this. So give me a little bit of leeway and then I'll walk it back. No, no, no. Kind of like, kind of like uh, you know, sex. Um, oh my something... goodness, Eric, why do you got to use the S word? <laughs> um, <laughs> Mark makes a great point. Clean drinking water was not as prevalent back in that day in the first century as it is today. But it's like with sex, you, you know, 
Paul admonishes in Romans 1 to not give in to sexual desires and lusts that are outside of the confines of heterosexual marriage. And he speaks in very strong terms. I encourage you guys to read it. But he also tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that um, he says it's good to abstain from sex, but uh, because of your desires, um, and these are biological desires that God has made us with, he said it's good for man and woman to be married and that um, we, in, in being in unison with our spouse, uh, we no longer have dominion over our own body, you know, in the same sense that that um, uh, that many of us think. So he gives us permission there to enjoy sex and have sex. Read Song of Solomon, right? Like, um, you ever looking for something for a Valentine's Day card for your lady? Read Song of Solomon. Uh, <laughs> tell, her, tell her how her body parts are like animals. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting for sure. But, um, you know, however, we can pervert sex in a way in which it becomes sinful. However, sex in itself is not sinful. Um, when used rightly, it can be, it, it's beautiful, it brings about life. Someone, someone's challenged you on the on this claim about first century alcohol, Eric. Okay, great question, Nathaniel Bickford. And, uh, you know, I just want everyone to know, let the record show that Nathaniel is my least favorite person. I often talk about my favorite people. Um, Nathaniel is my least favorite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. He's keeping, he's keeping you straight. You made it straight. So, so Nathaniel Bickford, a great guy, pastors up in New Hampshire. Actually, uh, he's pastoring. He followed uh, Lou Goings Church up in Whitefield, uh, New Hampshire. And um, so he asked about a reference for the lower alcohol content in the wine in the first century. Um, you know what? I do not have a reference for you, um, but I can tell you that uh, I've had. I believe I read it from a commentary that Sh Tom Schreiner wrote, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah. Now, now I, I appreciate the point that West um, West just brought up about there seems to be more grace leading to license to sin. And I think you're absolutely right, West, that mm. um, and Paul and Paul himself um, speaks very strongly against this. Right. This idea of, well, because grace covers sin, it doesn't really matter what you do, which. Paul says such people uh, actually don't even can't even participate in, in that in the gospel because what they've done is they have rejected and dishonored Christ as as master or as owner or as Lord of their lives. Um, so I, I would say this: I don't necessarily feel the need to fight with the church or with a Christian that chooses to abstain, or or has the expectation for their leaders to abstain. Right? I've worked uh, for organizations where that was the expectation. And I knew that going in and I didn't fight them about it. The issue that I have is with those who then condemn other churches or other Christians who've come to different conclusions. I think our only point is that those conclusions um, are personal. They're not universal. They, you can't apply them universally from any sort of a biblical standard. Now, by the, by the same token, I can't look at those Christians and churches and say, oh, well, you're doing something wrong by abstaining. The point is, let each man be bound by his own conscience, uh, mm -hmm. and God will judge. Yeah, that is, and that, is that, different, that is different than saying that is different than saying let every man do what's right in his own eyes. Those are not the same thing. 
That's right, because your conscience should be shaped by, by Christ. It should be shaped by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who indwells you, and that should be informing our consciences. Um, but we can have different convictions based on all sorts of things, maybe how we're raised or even the culture that we're in. So if we think of the holiness movement, I think the holiness movement has been or was a um, overreaction to overindulgence in all sorts of vices in our country. Um, but on the flip side, we see today where a great many people, um, you know, they flaunt their freedom. And I think flaunting freedom can certainly be um, a problem. I think what it, you know, flaunting freedom um, in the sense of, well, you know, I don't care if I, you know, if it's sin or not, you know, I'm going to do it regardless. I think I have the freedom to do it and I'm not really going to think about it deeply. I've wrestled with with these things. I've wrestled with the use of of uh, smoking cigars. I've been smoking cigars since I was 18 in high school, um, off and on. You know, not regularly because at different times, just you know, just can't afford it or just not not practical. Ah, uh, but um, see, you so you you've raised an important point here, which I think is that um, it, it's I think it's fine to say that these things in and of themselves are not wrong, but like anything they can become sinful. For example, yeah. if you're buying cigarettes instead of groceries for your kids, right? Yeah, yeah. It's sin. Uh, for shame. Right? And 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 um, we haven't even mentioned the whole conversation about, uh, and I, I know um, different substances have different sort of qualities when it comes to this, but we haven't even mentioned addiction. So I don't think this is such a, a clear cut and dried issue that some want to make it where it's either um, it's easy to say, well, just no Christian should participate in these things, nor is it easy to say, well, it doesn't matter if you participate in these things. There's actually a much, I, I think in some ways, both of those camps lower the standard of Christ. Um, yeah. the, the standard that Jesus gives is uh, to be especially, or, or that Paul gives, uh, is to be above reproach in all things. Yeah. And so I agree with you that these are questions that we should wrestle with. Whatever we're doing, anything we're putting into our bodies. You mentioned food, right? The the standard is higher than we really give credit for, not lower. Well, it's like we just have different, we associate different standards on different vices. So we think, okay, no, I, I say we. Those in the holiness or, or um perspective will say well you shouldn't have um alcohol you shouldn't have um any sort of tobacco products well fine but um you also find half of their ministers being uh morbidly obese you know like like that and i'm just saying that anecdotally that probably is not true but i was in the southern baptist convention and i can't tell you how many pastors i met who were morbidly obese but would rail against um a, you know a parishioner smoking cigarettes um, right, right. and say that they were unhealthy, that they were dishonoring um, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that to me but is just. But I think I think this is a danger that that um, Christians from every generation wrestle with, which is the culturalization of morality. Right. Where there are certain lines that we draw because of clear teaching of Scripture. And then there are certain lines that we draw because of the cultures in which we were raised and the ways we were raised. And uh, I think I think it's difficult to sort out which of sort of our moral parameters are the clear teaching of Scripture and which of them were just the things that we grew up with thinking were right and yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, 
and and that's I don't think that's necessarily easy for anyone to sort through. I, we weren't really intending to uh, make this you know a, a key issue, but but you know what it is. I like it. I think chat's just extra spicy today. They figured yeah. out that, that they're allowed to push back on us. And I, I like I, it. I, I'm enjoying it. I like it, and and I do appreciate. I just want to go back to Bigford because um, he points out that. Um, you know, he's read the same thing that I just shared about commentaries. Oh, well, in the first century, wine was had a much lower alcohol content. And he's like, well, I haven't seen any reference for it. Um, and, and, you know, I joked about Nathaniel being one of my least favorite uh, people. He's actually one of my favorites. He's, he's one of my confessors, so to speak, um, as Luther would call him. And, and I appreciate him very much because he and I think very similarly. Show it to me in the scriptures. And if it's not in the scriptures, show it to me in a, in, in a firsthand source. So give me something from the first century that gives me proof that the alcohol content then was a lot less than it is now. Um, yeah, so, and, I, and I would I would I would go so far as to say that uh, even if even if you do find a reference, Eric, that argument is unnecessary, right? It, I think it's sufficient right, yeah, to yeah. look at the, to look at to bring up the New Testament evidence that in fact wine was a common part of even the practice of the church. Drunkenness was strictly forbidden. Yeah, and and I just think, um, like to me, to say that all alcohol consumption is a sin. Now, can it lead to sin? Yeah, amen. I mean, that, like, I think if you say it can't lead to sin, then you're fooling yourself. Um, and, and, and we certainly don't want that. But alcohol consumption in and by itself, in, um, when it does not lead to, to drunkenness, we can't say that it is sinful because, Je I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. So if you believe in the infallibility of Scripture, if you believe to it to be inerrant, if you believe that it's true, um, then you have to tease that out a little bit and say, okay, so how can this be true? And how can Jesus turn water into wine and allow people to sin right? He participated in their sinfulness. I mean, that to yeah. me is, is heresy. That's heresy. Um, and damnable, I think. Now, I th I like another point that Wes just made, because um, because I I sympathize with with his observation about pride when it comes to these things. I can remember as a young Christian, like I was pretty well behaved. So if you sort of run down the uh, the, the basic moral parameters of sex, drugs, and alcohol, then up to a, a fairly you know in our culture a relatively high age like i'd abstain from all those things but because of that i look back now and i recognize that those things became a source of pride for me which is sin so <laughs> i avoided all i avoided all the naughty things and i and i still got i i still found my way into it you know well, in the midst of your in the midst of your depravity, which you did not realize, I mean, what greater illustration of the gospel is that, right? Like, in the midst of our depravity, we don't realize our depravity, we don't realize our sinfulness until God reveals it to us, and then what must we do? We must repent. Now, I'd say this: repenting of your not doing the naughty things is not now doing the naughty things, right? <laughs> like that, that'd be asinine. <laughs> so I, I repented my pride in, in a, by, by drunken binge. 
<laughs> so that you know, we got to be careful there. We got to be careful. But repentance of your pride is certainly something that it, 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 you have to realize. This in all of us, everybody who's listening or watching this has to understand this: you are not saved because you didn't do the naughty things. You needed to be saved because you've already done naughty things. You were born into naughty things. At the core of your heart is naughtiness, is sinfulness, and your desire to rebel against God. But by His good grace, He has caused you to be born again by His Holy Spirit to um, to see your uh, your nature change to the point where now you can respond to Him in gladness and repent of your sin and and. Um, have faith in Christ, and it's on account of Christ that you are saved, not because you walked a moral um, tightline or, or whatever. Amen. Good to hear the gospel. But now, as you follow Christ and cherish him and chase after him, you are going to be conformed to his image, and you're going to grow in realizing and knowledge of your sinfulness and the sinfulness around you, and your life will inevitably change. But the point of the Christian life is not to chase after um, uh, um, morality uh, or virtue. What I've been saying recently is it's not about vice or virtue. It's about Christ. Um, So you will naturally, you will naturally see your virtues uh, shed as you chase after Christ. Okay, I got I got to read this Charles Spurgeon story that Mark Wolfington just posted. By the way, I don't know how well you know Mark. I mean, you've mentioned you've met him before. He'd be a great guest to bring on sometime. All right. Phenomenal, I'm sure. By the way, he's telling a story that is in my that is in my article. Well, let, let me read it. Allegedly, okay. Charles Spurgeon invited D.L. Moody to speak at an event he hosted. Moody accepted and preached the entire time about the evils of tobacco and why the Lord doesn't want Christians to smoke. Spurgeon, an avid cigar smoker, was surprised at what seemed to be a cheap shot leveled by Moody, using the pulpit to condemn a fellow minister for violating an issue of personal conscience, Moody's conscience. When Moody finished preaching, Spurgeon walked up to the podium and said, Mr. Moody, I'll put down my cigars when you put down your fork. Um, and, this, and, this, and this story... I just love uh, the way I, I articulate in the story or in my article is a little bit different, but I love the, just imagine like someone coming up to you and go, Hey, you know, pastor, uh, you know, pastor Luke, I don't think, I think you should repent of your previous, uh, you know, cigar smoking or whatever it was yeah. you go. Well, I think you should repent of your ever eating ice cream. Cause you're <laughs> maybe my lungs are bad, but so is your stomach. <laughs> that's, I, you know, that's bold, I- man. That's what bold. I really like about this, what I really like about this story is it truly highlights the biblical principle, right? Um, which is which is about, and we've talked about this before, um, treating tier one issues as tier one issues. So, for example, I'm an avid Christian. I'm an annihilationist. I believe that's the clear teaching of Scripture. But I would mm-hmm. never, upon invitation to a Baptist church, make that the subject of my sermon. I'm not afraid to talk about those things to Baptists, but if I'm going to a Baptist church, unless it's for that purpose of having that discussion, um, I'm going to talk about the essential truths of Scripture upon which we agree, rather than seeking to sow division by treating my conscience as more important than my fellowship with those believers. Amen. Amen. And and I would reiterate, I don't think I would have the boldness to say what, what Spurgeon said, because I, I am cognizant of this. There are people um, to this day um, who struggle with body image issues and stuff, you know, and, and struggle with their own health. Um, and we want to be careful not to shame anyone for 
their their body or um or or anything of the like but we also need to not shame other people for other reasons you know if it's if it's biblical it's biblical if it's not it's not and there's well, certainly I don't, I don't... But, but but it's not it's not an issue of shame, right? That's if, if your goal is ever to shame someone, stop. Like yeah. whatever you're planning to do, don't do it. Um, yeah. The reason that we confront each other about sin is because of compassion for each other, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you see someone, so let's take the really sensitive example. I don't mind talking about it. If you see someone who is dangerously overweight, like they're not healthy, and you and you try to talk to them about diet. Uh, or about exercise, or, or just about the health of their body. Um, if your goal is to make them feel ashamed, don't do it. Like, don't do it. But if you care about that person, if you don't say something, you hate them. You're you're willing to just let them continue in their sin until they die of it, right? That that was Luke Copeland, the self uh, self titled the sensitive one. Um, I will, I'll take a different I'll take a different approach to that, Luke. Um, I would say this. Whenever you're talking about things like, like weight or anything, when you're talking about, because although you're speaking about it in regards to their health, and we should be, we should care about one another's health, right? And I think that you know, if someone says, "Hey, pastor, I'm concerned that you smoke cigars because I don't want you to die at 45 years old from, you know, a stroke or a heart attack or something like that," because you know, it can affect all those things. I appreciate that, um, but when we're talking about you know, weight, which is something, I mean, uh, last time I went to the doctor, I was considered obese, um, at 250 pounds, six foot three. So, which I was surprised about. So I'm okay saying like, yeah, I was considered obese. Uh, and, and I have become more active. I've changed my eating habits a little bit, although this coronavirus has changed that, uh, considerably. Um, I'm okay talking about that, you know, but someone else might not. And I, I can appreciate that we want to be concerned for one another's health, but sometimes we need to understand that these things are so sensitive. It's better to leave it between them and their doctor, unless you have a close relationship with them. Ah, but see, but you see, you, you've identified something important. That is the case in all Christian, almost all Christian confrontation, except maybe doctrine, where sometimes you need to confront strangers. I would say anytime you're confronting a fellow Christian about sin, it should be someone with whom you have some kind of a relationship. Like I, I can't, I can't imagine walking into uh, a church I don't know for their potluck and beginning to accuse people of gluttony. Like what? Really? Because that's what I thought you were talking about. I thought that's no, no, literally no, what. No. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but your point's important that um, uh, th- this kind of confrontation for anything, right? Any any kind of habitual sin, it has to come through relationship first. So we're not responsible. Or, and this is something that I think we get really wrong is sometimes we spend more time preaching morality to strangers than we do actually confronting one another about uh, the sins in our lives. And I don't I don't feel any obligation to like uh, tell strangers how or what they should eat or do or live. It's the people that God has placed in my life that I know that I have a relationship with. Those are the ones that I have a responsibility for. Yeah. And yeah, I. And we also have to recognize, like, the younger you are, the harder it is to realize this, that the older you get, your body changes. Um, and I'm really realizing that at 32 years old, that your body changes over time. It doesn't heal quite like it used to. You don't have as much energy as you used to, but also your metabolism changes. So 
your eating habits that you developed probably in childhood, through high school, and then in your early adulthood, um, they can get you into trouble when you're 30 something years old and your metabolism slows down. So, and that can be hard to adjust. So sometimes people might even be struggling with, with their eating habits and they reckon, I mean, people recognize if they're overweight, generally, if they don't, if they don't recognize it themselves, um, then their doctor's going to tell them or they're going to have a wake up call. I knew I had a couple extra pounds. I did not realize that I was considered obese when the doctor told me and I was kind of shocked. And at first I, my feelings were a little bit hurt. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> And then I went, and then I went, then I went home. Uh, <laughs> but in the midst of that, like classic fashion of me, like the doc tells me, like you know, you're you're considered obese, and I said, Doc, give it to me straight. Am I gonna die? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but then, like, I went home or stopped at the grocery store, got me a couple of Ben and Jerry's, and I, and I ate my feelings, man. And and that's gonna contribute to to but you know. But no, you. I know you. I know you just made a joke, but you've actually hit on something here that I think is worth talking about. Um, any sin that has to do with what you're putting into your body, any sin, whether it's a cigarette or alcohol or ice cream, any sin, is actually idolatry. <laughs> I think this is one of the things we really misunderstand. Gluttony is not I ate too much. It's I love food more than God. That's uh, right. Alcoholism. Alcoholism is not I drank too much. It's I love alcohol more than God. So this is this is again where this this way of seeing things as like oh we're trying to meet a moral standard completely misses the point. The standard is complete and total devotion to an adoration of Christ. And anything that gets in the way of that is sin. Well the standard is Christ, which you can't meet that standard, but it's been given to you by him. The standard's already been met for you. Mm-hmm. Now again, going back to yeah, what you're right, you're right. doesn't mean that you can sin all the more, but that that just that just means that you realize how insurmountable the task is to justify yourself before God, and when we tack on these these uh, extra biblical um, standards, what we're doing is we're trying to justify ourselves before the Lord, and we're making again ourselves God and not God God. Now, I know we're going to save the spiritual gifts conversation for another day, but I really like Alex's story about Spurgeon uh, and the word of knowledge about the guy who's stealing. I, Alex, I want to walk back a statement I just said. All of our rules or policies about this are subject to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's a great story. Um, I, do we want to now, oh, go ahead. Now, I'd also point this out. For those who preach the who preach right so for you and i there are many who are listening and many who i hope are sitting under a uh, a pastor who they hear preaching week in and week out um we have to understand this that when we approach something in scripture we have to preach it which is why expository preaching going verse by verse book by book is so much better than just willy-nilly choosing what you're gonna although spurgeon would literally just pick a pick something and, and go with it like listen to his or, or read his lectures to to my students it is phenomenal and he will he walks through a little bit about how he chooses the text but anyway um for those of us who aren't the prince of preachers it's best to go through a an entire book and in so doing you have to approach the text and preach what it says and you're gonna have to tackle things that are unpopular like alcohol like let me like all the all of these things um that aren't whether it's in 
the, the secular world won't like it when you talk about um, what Paul talks about with homosexuality. The Christian world is not going to like what Jesus says about alcohol. You know, so you know we have to be we have to preach what the text says, and we can't shy away from it. So it does mean, hey, if gluttony comes up in the text, we tell people, yep, this is a real issue with it. This is probably the thing that is most prideful in the church community. It's something that we love and and don't even think of it as a sin. Um, and we just have to be careful. Yeah, and I like your point that that's the power of expositional preaching is it's not my pet project this week. It's just the next thing that the book says. Yeah. yeah. There's there's All freedom. Right, should, we, should, should we try to start the conversation we intended to have? I thought this was I great, I forget what it what it what it what it was. What priority. Oh my god. We got 12 minutes left in the podcast and now you well, we really I, did I, not do a good job at prioritizing this podcast. I can go a little later today if you want to or we can we can push the priorities conversation to Thursday. Your call. I don't I don't think we have enough time to really tack, tackle it with it as much gusto as I'd like to. That's okay. I I enjoyed the conversation we had. Comment section, well done. You completely derailed us in the best possible way. This might have been the best time that we've had with the comment section. We tried to include as much or as many people as possible. They were great, man. I, I really I really enjoyed their input. All right, should we go ahead and do catechism? I'm trying to think if we want to just close this out with any words of caution. About what? What are you what are you nervous about what you just said? I don't well I'm not nervous about anything. I'm not nervous about it. Listen, if I offend someone, I'd hope that they would tell me so I could, I could apologize. I can. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think we've said anything of, uh, other than what the scriptures say, right? But uh, yeah, um, uh, when it comes to those things uh, uh, in which there is not clear New Testament prohibition, um, let let each man be convinced in his own conscience. Let those who abstain abstain. Let those who partake partake. And let neither seek to condemn. Uh, the other, or to cause the other to violate his own conscience. Yeah, and I, well, I, I would say this because you know, for those who are part of a church and maybe they fall in one category, maybe they feel like they're mismatched. You know, almost like you, you're in a church where uh, you disagree on this with what the leadership says, or maybe whatever. Uh, first off, you know, don't leave your church over issues like this. That that's not a good reason to leave your church. Although your church shouldn't be binding your conscience to anything the scriptures don't speak to. Um, so so that's a, that's delicate. That's very delicate. Don't be self-righteous. Don't go, um, you know, it's kind of like the, the young Calvinist, right? They call them the King State Calvinist. The, the time that someone first comes to the understanding of uh, Reformed theology and really at the heart of Reformed theology is the glory of God and the sovereignty of God. And when they do, it unveils, as I think it, I, it might have been Spurgeon who said um, Calvinism is the key that unlocks the gospel, that you get, to, uh, you get to see everything in its fullness. You get to see God's glory in its fullness, which is wonderful. However, um, what it does is it produces a sense of pride in many folks who come into that, that understanding of, of the scriptures. And when you come to an understanding that you and I share about um, some of the so-called naughty things, <laughs> you know, um, don't be prideful. I mean, don't be a jerk. Don't don't thumb your nose up at, at people. Um, 
you know, think first, speak slow to speak and quick to listen and uh, understand, hey, we can all be wrong, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, even yeah. you and I, even you and I, you know, you more than me, but even you and I can, uh, can be wrong. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to say something that ridiculous. Uh, no, I could be wrong. But but I, but I will say this. I think the other piece here is to keep the main thing the main thing. The scripture says many things, all of which we should take seriously because these are the words of God. With that said, uh, we are called to preach the gospel, not any moral standard. So let's let's not be afraid of what the Bible speaks morally because it speaks very clearly and very strongly about many things. Uh, but do not make it your mission to preach either uh, abstinence or participation in these things of, about which Christians can disagree. Rather, make Christ the center of your message, and we'll hash out all the other things in brotherly fellowship. Yeah, I couldn't disagree more. See, you're entitled to be wrong. Are you going to explain, or are we just going to sit on that? Well, I do think I, I do think it's important for us to teach a, a biblical worldview that incorporates a sense of biblical morality. But again, like you said, um, it's not the the main thing. Um, well, well, let me let me let me clar- let me clarify. Let me clarify. I think I think within the church we should we should we should have robust discussions of everything the Word of God says. Right when we're preaching the gospel. I understand that a Christian worldview comes with the gospel, but I'm not trying to convince people to come to all the moral conclusions that scripture does. I'm just trying to tell them about Jesus. Mm, well, I don't know. Uh... Let, let, let me, let me, let me put it this way. Okay. So obviously there is no, there, you can't pre- give the good news without the bad news, right? You have to preach about sin if you want to preach about grace. But you're going to preach your law view, and gospel. But, but That's what Luther would say. You're going to preach law and gospel. Yes, exactly. But would you say that in order for someone to be converted, right, that they have to come to all the moral conclusions that the Bible does before they can receive that grace? Say that again. Does some, in, order, in order to be converted or to be saved, right, does someone have to come to all the moral conclusions the Bible does before they can receive that grace? Of course not. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that's fair. But you preach the text, and if the text has a specific yeah. moral, you know, preaches a specific moral statement, then you preach that. However, the, the like when you think of when Paul talks about um, homosexuality, right, in Romans one. He's preaching that to admonish the church and to point those in their midst towards Christ. So the the value that is there in preaching something that is moral has its value in so much that it points to Christ, that it convicts you of your sin and points you to Jesus. Um, yes, and that is and that is incredibly important. And let me get let me give a qualifier. Um, uh, the the go- the gospel is simple, right? But if you if you upon upon uh, winning someone, right, or upon let's say let's give the Holy Spirit the credit for what He does, upon you say winning someone, Holy, huh? What are you winning someone? Win, winning someone to Christ? You don't even what, like is that, what does that what does that mean? All right. 
The only thing that I've won is... is I'm going to rephrase. Upon conversion, Christians need discipleship, right? So just because you start with a simple gospel, right, doesn't mean that those people don't then need the rest of the word of God. Well, yeah, if you look at the Great Commission, this is this is the terrible thing about evangelists, um, is that <laughs> um, and there are great things about evangelists. Uh, but I would tell you one of the one of the terrible things, and I truly think it's terrible, is when evangelism is evangelism uh, or evangelists and like evangelistic crusades and things like that isn't tied to um, teaching all, as Jesus says in the Great Commission, all that he has taught so all that he has revealed all that he has shared it is incredible it, those two things are intertwined they are two sides of the same coin um you're not expected to just uh to just hey you should tr- you know pr- pray this prayer pr- uh my fa- my my favorite line is pray jesus into your heart <laughs> like the Anyway, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to get into that tangent. We, we, but, should, we should say we should save this one for another conversation because it deserves its own time. Yeah, but yeah. Okay, say whatever prayer that brings you comfort, and, and as long as and as long as Jesus has truly saved you, great, wonderful. Um, but it doesn't end there. Um, no, it no, no. End, it, it is it is the start of a lifelong process in growing into the image of the son and that means a lifelong process of growing in knowledge and faithfulness in in obedience in in faith and repentance but eric you're afraid you've said something offensive i'm now going to take the cake before we close here um i i believe i believe really uh truly in the power of the grace of god that he can use imperfect means right to accomplish his purposes so i'm not going to say that you know Every um, conversion-only evangelist never had any fruit in their ministry. God's capable of using imperfect means. With that said, I think anyone who would say that, that, that salvation is nothing more than a prayer actually don't understand the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because the gospel is not simply that you will have eternal life someday after they find your name in the book, thank God that is true. The gospel is so much better and greater and more than that, that you have eternal life right now through Jesus Christ. And that eternal life, that release from sin, is not something we're waiting for Sunday. It's something that is happening and has happened right now. Those people who think that salvation works that way don't understand the gospel. If you want to know what eternal life is, you read uh, John 17, verses 1 through 5. I'm actually preaching on it this, this weekend. Um, eternal life is knowing God and knowing God. And this is an intimate knowledge um, is to all those things that you just said. But I do, I, I do, I don't know how to take what Palma um, just said, what she said, and the non-Christians look at Christians and see no difference. So they wonder oh, why I, do I need to be I, saved. I, 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 absolutely, I absolutely know what she's referencing. She's talking about the places where Paul, Paul mentions, uh, and I think I think Jesus says something too about um, men seeing your good deeds and glorifying the Lord. I think I think this is all over Paul's teaching. This idea that um, one of one of the effects of holy living is that the world looks at the Christian and sees someone different. 
but right I, I totally agree but i wonder in reference to the things that we've been talking about is that justification for abstaining from all of those things um but i, uh, I would I, so i would I simply i, I would know. simply I'll say that yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't know that I've really had those discussions with her, so I'm not sure what she's speaking to in particular, but I think the general principle she just stated, I'm totally in agreement with. Yeah, I, I would agree too, but what does that look like? That doesn't look like um, – the scriptures don't speak to it as abstaining from those things. The scriptures speak to it as not sinning, <laughs> you know, not sinning in, uh, in regards to those things. So, again, the scriptures don't say – uh, cigars are sinful or alcohol is sinful the scriptures say that um that drunkenness is sinful so you know i i don't see you know i could certainly see if i was uh you know if you or i were drunk in the sidewalk yeah that's not a good look you know that that is not a good look at all. uh i would i would amen what she just said um, but I'd be cautious in in implementing that statement on the things that we've discussed, because here's the thing. The world does need to see that we are sinful people. We are people who have been saved by grace according to God's good pleasure. Oh, uh, oh hold on, hold on. Now now I'm going to have to be the one pushing back. I completely disagree with that, with that statement you just made. How so? That, that, the world, that the world needs to see that Christians are sinful people? No, well, hold on. Let me finish. He didn't let me finish the statement. Okay? But they need to see that we're sinners saved by grace. We need to be free in, in sharing um, that we have sinned, that we continue to sin, but the 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 Christian life is not one in which we tried to hide try to hide all of our sins. The Christian life is one in that we readily admit our sinfulness in our reliance upon God. Now that now again, that doesn't mean that you just go, uh, go around and go, look at me, I'm just sitting all over the place. It means that you show a, a grief over your sin, right? Um, Thomas Watson says that uh, our, um, oh, what's the, what's the quote I recently read? But essentially, it's the tears of our repentance in which our salvation. Um, it, it is is earned in a sense, in the sense of worked out. You know, of course, you can't earn your salvation, but essentially, our growing into Christ is founded on um, our sinfulness over our sinfulness. Yeah. Well, this this was a good discussion, and I I think I think there will be more. Hold on. I think it's so funny that Carolyn would say this because this is the conversation we were having right before we came on air. Uh, I think a bigger question, how can they look at an observant Muslim and a Christian who uh, acts out of these moral actions? And I, I appreciate Carolyn's point that the the um, essential distinguishing trait of the Christian is not their morality. It is Christ. Correct. And I would say this. Too many Christians are are disobedient in, in all sorts of things in life and if we, if all we had to do to show Christ was to not smoke cigars and not drink alcohol and not eat strawberry pie, I'd be all for it. But not of those things uh, point to Christ. So I'm um, I'm gonna I'm gonna for now because uh, I, I want I'll, I'll say this so that she knows I'm I'm not going to ignore her. I think for now I'm gonna save the the conversation with Pama for um, uh, private conversation. I'm happy to continue that conversation with her. She's a member of my church. But I, okay. I'm not I'm not real keen on trying to continue that right now publicly. By the way, great questions. 
you know, I just read it. It's a terrific question. It's one that I, I think will be fruitful. Yeah, absolutely. Pama, don't 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 let me get away with ignoring that question. I want you to ask it again. But I think for now we'll, we're going to end the conversation. We've had a, a lot of good things to say and a lot of good comments. Uh, we'll continue it another day. And uh, don't be afraid of asking me that question again sometime. I think it's worth answering and worth talking about. I hope she actually gets on the phone with you after we get off air, or you get on the phone with her. Maybe you know that's what a good well, pastor no, would do. No, 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 and, uh, no, 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 I don't mind this about her. She'll raise it um, during Bible study. We'll have it. Now, we'll have it with with some some of our other church members. Now I notice her last name is the same last name as someone that you were caught singing with on camera the other day. <laughs> so this is um, Pama is actually Ed Neal's wife, and okay. Ed was of the church where I'm currently pastor for about 20 years before I got here. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, God bless him. I'll say this, I'll say this about Pama. Um, incredibly, incredibly biblically literate. She really knows her scriptures. Anytime I talk with her about this stuff, I come away edified just as much as anyone else. Praise the Lord for saints like that. Praise the Lord. Um, well, cool, man. Well, talking about getting into the scriptures, uh, got the Blessed Hope Catechism. We, uh, we, um, we, we may need to your audio is um, say that say that again your audio sounds like it's dying. like every time I speak it's like uh, I don't know it could be my we internet we may just have to end the stream alright uh, sorry guys uh yeah sorry uh the audio is terrible so we will see you guys on thursday god bless you